Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship here at MCC. Glad that you guys are here. And if you're watching online, we're, we're glad that you're here watching with us uh, through the use of technology. So if you are a visitor or a guest here, thank you for being here. My name is Jamie Moore. I serve as associate pastor here at MCC. And if soon to be co-senior pastor in February, uh, Dennis reminds me, um, if you're online uh, and, and visiting and watching this, uh, please go to our website, uh, marymontchurch.org, and you can get more information about our church. And if you're a visitor or a guest here this morning as well, same kind of thing after the service, check out marymontchurch.org for info. A couple of announcements. We have ladies retreat coming up, and I've got a slide for this. Uh, Beth Guckenberger is going to be here uh, February 6th. That's going to be a live stream and or in person. Um, actually, I should say live stream and in person at MCC. There are a couple of spots available, but not many. So uh, reach out to Paula Ayer, ayerpaula at gmail.com there. Uh, reach out to her. Um, final announcement that I need to make is um, in the service, we'll be celebrating Lord's Supper uh, during the congregational worship and response time. So if you're online, I just want to give you a heads up about that so you can go ahead and get the elements ready um, so that in the latter half of the service, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper during congregational singing and worship, um, then you'll be ready to do that as well. Okay, I think that's all the announcements I've got. Let me pray for us, and then we will jump into our service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have a chance to be with you and with each other. I thank you for the gift of technology to be with brothers and sisters um, through uh, the medium of, of television and, and cameras and screen. Thank you that we are able to experience your presence together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that you've revealed yourself in your word. And we give this time to you, Jesus. We ask that you will be honored in our time together. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you will give us eyes for Jesus alone this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would ignite awe and wonder and astonishment at the God who is with us. So, Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to come and be with us this morning. We yield to you, we yield to your word, and we give you this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, good morning again. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 7. Psalm 139, verse 7. I'm going to jump right into the message if you haven't been here, we're continuing in a series called Astonished, where we walk through the attributes of God. In this design, we're uh, looking at the text at the very beginning of the service, and then the worship, uh, the congregational singing part of the worship service happens in response to the text. So we're basically looking at these attributes of God and, and almost taking God like a, like a diamond and looking at him, and then the rest of the service is us responding to how great and how wonderful he is. So that's kind of the, the structure of why we're doing it this way. So 
omnipresent God this morning. We're looking at the, the attribute, the omnipresence of God. The big idea of the series is based off of uh, Dr. Tozer's words. He writes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. So in many ways, this series is a worship series. That our worship is, um, can find coldness and staleness, and often when that is happening, it's because we're actually not entertaining the glorious thoughts of God that he has actually revealed himself to be. So really, this series is a, a worship series, and it's a chance for us to look at some attributes of God, to do a little systematic theology work, but to do systematic theology in the best way, which is to do it with the heart and the mind. Sometimes theology is so heady that there's no heart engagement. We're just saying things about God, but there's actually no relational connection to the one we're talking about. So the goal is for us all to become devotional theologians, as it were, <laughs> where our heart is engaged and our minds are thinking the very highest, best thoughts of God at the same time. So that's the goal in this series. So here we go. Three questions about God's omnipresence. Number one, what is God's general presence? We're going to look at that. Number two, what is God's special presence? And then third question, so what? Why does that matter? Why are we even talking about this? Three questions as we look at the omnipresent God. Number one, what is God's general presence? Now, I'm trying to define omnipresence for us. Omnipresence, omni, uh, is the word all, and presence would mean present, like he's present here with us. All, so all present is the concept here with this word. But to define it, omnipresence is an attribute that tells us that God is fully present everywhere and is not limited to any location or physical space. This is an attribute that tells us that God is fully present everywhere and he is not limited to any location or physical space. Let's look at the text. Psalm 139, verse 7. David writes, and he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I free, flee from your presence? So two things I want you to see. First, God is present Everywhere. Look at the second half of that verse. He says, where shall I flee from your presence? So this is obviously a rhetorical question, isn't it? David's saying, where could I go that you're not there? So this teaches us that God is, is present everywhere. He says, where could I go where you're not going to be present there with me? It reminds me of Jonah. You remember Jonah? We, we looked at Jonah last year. What did Jonah try to do? When he heard from God specifically, go to Nineveh and preach my word to the people of Nineveh. What did Jonah try to do? He flee. He tried to flee. He tried to run away from God. Did it work? No. It so didn't work. It was so spectacularly a failure on Jonah's part that a giant fish swallowed Jonah and then spit him back on land. Like, no, no, go. So David's saying, where can I flee from? Can I go anywhere where you're not there? And the error to avoid in this, so I'm trying to navigate 
the, te the text and the theology and the error. The error in this is the error of pantheism. So we want to avoid pantheism, which is to say, God is everything. Does that make sense, the difference there? So it's one thing to say that God is present everywhere. It's a very different thing, and it's a heretical thing to say God is everything. Like if I see a tree, that tree is God. Or if I see uh, water, God is the water. No, God is present everywhere, but he is not the actual things that we're seeing. He's not a tree. He's not water. So we want to avoid pantheism. Second thing, not only is God present everywhere, but second thing that I want you to see, God is fully present everywhere. Look at what David says. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Now, when the psalmist writes about the spirit of God, there is, there is a personal, intimate thing at play in the Old Testament. That the spirit of God is, is, is the, the fullness of who God is. That when the spirit of God comes and rests on someone, there's a sense of the fullness of God is in that place. Or when the Ark of the Covenant was in the temple and the spirit dropped, the presence of God dropped into the Holy of Holies, there was a sense that the fullness of who God is is right there. And, and I, I press this because in this attribute, we're to understand that God is fully present everywhere that he is. So the error that we're going after on this is this. Sometimes when we think about the omnipresence of God, we just think this. Okay, so God is bigger than everything, so that's how he's present everywhere, right? So like if the universe is this big, well, God is bigger than the universe, so that's how he's present everywhere. But that would be wrong thinking. For instance, that would create a situation where if this is the universe, half of the universe has like this part of God, right? And the other half of the universe has this part of God. But that's not really a right way to think about God. Wherever you are in the universe, he is fully there. He is fully present in that place. And the reason I bring this up is because the ancient Near Eastern context for this psalm, this psalm is going after pagan gods and idols. One of the reasons David is saying these things is because he's going after the common thought about gods. And in the ancient Near East, gods were territorial and they had boundaries. That is to say, if you went to a certain area in the ancient Near East, there was a specific God in that area, and there were boundaries whereby that God actually functioned and controlled things. But if you went outside that boundary, there would be a different God. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So it'd be like if every state in the U.S. had a different God, and then when you cross a border, you're in a different God's territory. That's what it would be like. And so David is going after the fact, it doesn't matter if we're in Indiana or Kentucky or Ohio, Yahweh is God. And he is fully present in all the places where we could possibly go. Another way to think about it. NASA says that the observable universe is 13 billion light years. 13 billion light years. Scientists say, are projecting, that the diameter of the universe that we can see is 92 billion light years. So if I were to start right here and move at the speed of light, 
and move for 46 billion years just that way. Just keep going for 46 billion years at the speed of light. When I get there, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit is fully present right there. Does that make sense? He is not, he is not just fully present on earth. He is fully present in the far reaches of the galaxy. 46 billion light years away, Father, Son, and Spirit fully present, 100% right there. That's where this attribute is going. It's not that he's just everywhere because he's big. He is everywhere and he is fully present everywhere that he is. Now, a couple of complementary attributes that will help us in our thinking, because this is really abstract stuff. So some complementary attributes. Number one, the eternality of God. We're going to look at the eternal God in a couple weeks. But I just want to bring it up here. God is not bound by time. This is what this attribute says. God is not bound by time, but instead is equally present in all times. That is to say, from the beginning of the universe and then all the times that have been made, God is fully present in all of those times all the time. Does that make sense? So when we correlate that to, to his presence, it's the same kind of way. And then the spirituality, God is immaterial, not bound by physicality, but instead is wholly present in all places. He is present in all places. Okay, so why is that important, this first discussion of the general presence of God? What does that mean to us, the general presence of God? Number one, God is not distant, quote-unquote, from you physically. I bring this up because have you ever said, I just feel like God's, God's not there. Or I feel far away from God. Anyone ever said that? <laughs> like there's this sense of like, God is like in the sky somewhere. He's an old man with a long beard. He's kind of ticked off. And if I mess up, lightning strike, right? Like that's a common thought about God. But the omnipresence of God tells us that is not true. He is not up there. He is right here. <laughs> he is fully present right here, right now, with us. Secondly, you cannot hide from God. <laughs> I mentioned the thing with Jonah, right? He tried to flee from the presence of God. He tried to leave God. But you cannot hide. Look at the text. This is Psalm 139. Look at verse 2. You cannot hide from God. He knows wherever you go. <laughs> Verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. He knows our thoughts. You discern my thoughts from afar. He knows what we're going to say even before we say it. Verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Verse 5. He's all around us. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. He is all around us, and this is worth, this knowledge is worth our worship. Look at verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful, too spectacular for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. You can see worship coming out just while he talks about the omnipresence of God in verse 6. You cannot hide from him. Now, the way this gets to our hearts is with regard to temptation to sin. Sometimes, and I'll just speak for me, 
because y'all are super holy and y'all don't ever deal with this stuff. I'll just talk for me. (laughs) When I am tempted to sin, it is a great pushback to that temptation to realize the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are right here with me. Like, let's say I'm looking at something inappropriate on a screen. Right? I want to be honest with it. Let's say I'm looking at something that is inappropriate. <laughs> Sometimes we're tempted to think, well, God's not here. It's just, a, it's just a private thing. It's just me. It's just me, right? No, no, no. <laughs> he is fully present. And that is a really good defense against temptation to go, you know what? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the creator of the universe is right here with me. It's kind of like when you're watching a TV show and you got your mom and dad there and there's a scene that comes on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Or, or your kids. We've, Jess and I have had this. We're watching a show. We thought that it was okay. Our kids are there. And all of a sudden something is said and we're like, whoa, we didn't realize that. We should have looked on IMDb, parents, you know, guide or whatever. Same way with God. God is present. The Holy One is with us. We cannot hide from him. And third, when you pray, when you pray, you're not offering prayers up into the sky because God is present with you. He is as present with you as if you were sitting next to him. He is fully present. So when we think about prayer, how many times do you think about prayer and you're like, I, I just want to get, get to God. I've got to throw these prayers up. What? That's a weird thing to say. He is present. He is fully present. You could actually have your eyes open and just talk to him because he is fully present here with us. So a couple of things to consider. And, and final thing I want to say, and I'm going to move on. Not only when you pray is he fully present, you have his undivided attention when you pray. Did you know that? Because he is fully present with us. When Jamie prays, he has his undivided attention on me. And by the way, if I'm praying and someone else is praying, he has his undivided attention on them as well. So that is the general presence of God. Number two, what is God's special presence? His special presence. And I've tried to define this in saying this. God freely chooses. This is, what, this is how the Old Testament talks about the special presence of God. Not just general presence, his special presence. God freely chooses to be uniquely present in particular places and with particular people. Oftentimes, this means he is uniquely present in order to bless these people and act in relational intimacy. So it is true, God is present everywhere. That is true. Everything that I've just said for the last 10 minutes is absolutely true. And... God chooses to be particularly and uniquely present with specific people in specific places to bless them and to bless these places and to act with relational intimacy. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Because we're trying to navigate the fact that God is present everywhere and he's made choices. Now you say, Jamie, where are you getting that? Here's the passage, Psalm 132, just as an example passage. The Lord has chosen. Everyone say chosen. The Lord has chosen Zion. The Lord did not choose Mars. He did not choose another galaxy. He chose Zion. And Zion is a synonym for Jerusalem there. 
that is a specific city in a specific part of a specific planet called Earth. Is that correct? Were you with me? So God has chosen a specific city on a specific planet. He's present everywhere, and then he's chosen. For the Lord has chosen Zion, Jerusalem. He has desired, you can hear the longing, he has desired it, this place, for his dwelling place. He said, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. So he is uniquely present, in addition to his omnipresent, he is uniquely present in a particular place with a particular people. We see this, of course, it starts off with the garden, but post-fall, we see this most clearly with a man named Abram. Because God could have chosen any number of people, he chooses one guy named Abram. He changes his name to Abraham, the father of many nations. God particularly chooses one man, and from that man, an entire people group. His special presence, that these are going to be my people. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will dwell with them uniquely, and I will bless them. He says, I'm going to bless you. Why? To bless all the peoples of the earth. He's uniquely, especially present with particular people in particular places for the purpose of blessing and relational intimacy. Now, where do we go then from the New Testament? How does that develop then into the new covenant. Here's how I'm trying to describe this in the New Testament. The Old Testament tabernacle, obviously the presence of God came onto the tabernacle, into the temple in Jerusalem. That's the Psalm 132 concept. The presence of God came into the Holy of Holies in the temple. The Old Testament tabernacle and temple are shadows of the New Testament reality, and that is this. By faith in Christ, we become temples of the living God, and we corporately are the places where God chooses to dwell for blessing and intimacy. Paul will say to the church in Corinth, do you not know that you are a temple? Your body is a temple of the living God, for the Spirit of God dwells within you. So God has chosen a particular place in the old covenant. It was the temple. By faith in Christ, in the new covenant, we become mobile temples walking around with the presence of God particularly, uniquely, especially by the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And that's fantastic. That's fantastic. (laughs) By faith in Christ, and I'm about to get to the gospel because I love it so much. By faith in Christ, we receive the blessing of the unique, special, particular presence of God dwelling within us. He is 46 billion light years away in his fullness, and he dwells intimately, perfectly, fully inside. Right? (laughs) The dude who props his feet up on the moon dwells within us. fantastic it's fantastic so what does that mean for us what does that mean for us I want to look at the rest of the text first it means at least three things number one 
The special presence means that we are known intimately and we are delighted in extravagantly. Look at the text, Psalm 139. The psalmist writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. It's a very specific verb, to be known. Listen, what you want more than anything is to be perfectly known and perfectly loved. Whether you know it or not, I'm just, I'm, I'm pushing on presuppositions. Whether you know it or not, you want to be perfectly known and perfectly loved. The struggle that we have is, I think that if I'm perfectly known, like they know everything about me, then they won't love me, right? That's why we have masks, that's why we hide. I can't get into that, that's a different sermon, but I, I hope y'all feel what I'm saying here. What you want is someone who knows everything about you and loves you perfectly. That's what we have in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so he says, you have searched me, you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it together. You hem me in behind and before, you lay your hand on me. All of this intimate, knowing language that's at play. And skip over to verse 13. It says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. From, from the womb, he has known you. I praise you. There's worship again. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. My frame, my skeletal system, my spirit and soul, the core of who I am was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts. By the way, he's talking about the thoughts of God for the one who's speaking. It's like, how precious are your thoughts about me? I can't even, I can't even handle the intimacy that you're showing to me. There's, a, there's a, an intimate knowing and delighting that even when we were in our mother's womb, he was delighting in us. Reminds me of Zephaniah 3.17. We talked about this a, a couple weeks ago. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That he is present everywhere and he is delighting particularly in particular people. We are known Second thing that this means is that we are, the special presence means that we are being blessed and sustained in all circumstances. He goes on to describe in verses 8 to 12 of, of Psalm 139. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He describes, I could go, I could go to the, the best possible places, you're there. I could go to some of the darkest places. Sheol was an ancient Near Eastern concept, Israelite concept of the underworld. It was, it was a concept of going down into this shadowy, watery abyss where nothing good is there. 
He says, even if I were to literally walk through hell, you're there with me. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? There's a, there's a sense in which the psalmist, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are what? With me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Even if I walk through literal hell, there's no reason to fear because you are especially present with me, the omnipresent one. Isaiah 43, one of, my, one of the verses God has used to literally transform my life. God says to his chosen people, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Verse 4, why? Why would he do these things? Why would he walk through fire and water with us? Why would he do that? Verse 4, because you are precious in my eyes, God says. And I love you. The creator of the universe says, you are precious and I love you. And when you walk through fire, I will be there with you. His special presence, the, the special unique presence of God by faith in Christ is such that even when we walk through difficult days, he is especially with us. When you are suffering from a miscarriage, he is especially with you. My youth minister um, from when I was in high school in the last month, actually the last two weeks, he's lost his daughter and his father. <laughs> you know, and we hear, these, we hear stories of tragic things that happen around us. I have another friend, and about five years ago, her son on Thanksgiving just literally had a seizure and fell and passed out. And they found a, a cancerous brain tumor and then went to immediate surgery over Christmas. And I remember Mandy saying to me, said, Jamie, I, I, it was the most horrific moment of my life, sitting there in the hospital while my son is having surgery. It was the most horrific thing. I would never, ever, 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 ever want to do that again. I would never want anyone around me to experience that. And she goes, and yet, I have never felt closer to God, ever. I could feel his tangible, manifest presence in the hospital while my son is just a few meters away having very dangerous surgery. She said, but in that moment, I felt more of God than I have ever experienced. He was, he was uniquely, manifestly present with me in a time of great pain and sorrow and anxiety. This is what I'm talking about. He is uniquely present to sustain in all circumstances. And third and final, he is his special presence is pure joy. The psalmist says, Psalm 16, 11, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We see the disciples, when they're being persecuted, they come back together and they just rejoice in, the, in persecution. It's this crazy dichotomy. In our culture, joy means all my circumstances are good and right, I'm blessed, everything is fine. In a biblical worldview, joy is found in the presence of God regardless of what I'm walking through. 
The circumstances may be good. The circumstances may be bad. Neither the circumstances determine joy. Joy is determined by the presence of God through both. Okay, I got to move to the third point now. (laughs) So what? Third and final question. So what? Why, why, Why are we spending time on these things? I want to throw out three hindrances to the presence of God. Three hindrances to our experience of the special presence of God. Number one, we are separated from God because of sin. Because of sin. Sin separates us from God. It actually alienates us from God. So Paul, writing to the Ephesians, will say things like this. This is Ephesians chapter 4. He says, uh, outside of relationship with God, you are futile in your thinking. You have darkened minds. And he says, and you are alienated from God. There is a separation between you and God. There is a dissimilarity between you and God. There is no fellowship between you and God. You are alienated. God is is one thing, and you are not with him. You are not together with him. He's talking about the special presence of God. He says, you are alienated. You're darkened. Your heart is hardened. You're calloused. You're stiff-necked towards God. And by the way, we're all in that boat We're all in that boat. So the Bible teaches us. We are born alienated from God. We're experiencing his general presence because he is generally everywhere, but we are not experiencing his special presence. I think it's important that we hear that. Not everyone experiences the special, unique presence of God. Everyone experiences his general presence in that he is everywhere, but not everyone experiences his special presence. So Paul says that you are alienated, alienated from God, separated from God, dissimilar from God. He is a holy God, and we're not. And then Paul says this, Ephesians 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's painting this picture. We are naturally born into a state in which we are enemies of God. We are dissimilar and alienated from him. Then he says, this is verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He says this is through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul is describing a situation where all of us are enemies of God, alienated from him. We're experiencing his general presence, but not his special presence. And Paul says God loves us, the world, all of us, and has come in human flesh, that's Jesus, to die on the cross in our place to experience the wrath of God. See, that dissimilarity between the holiness of God and our brokenness and our sin brings wrath upon us. The wrath of God is actually against us, Paul says. But his love for us is such. He's like, I want to be with them. I want them. And so he says, this is what I'm going to do. They cannot do it by themselves. They cannot rescue themselves. They can't behave in such a way that they can be back holy with me. So I will come and die in their place. 
I will take the wrath of myself on myself for them. This is gospel good news. We are so separated from him and enemies of his. We're experiencing general presence, yes, but not special presence. Because of the wrath that is pointed towards us. And Jesus comes and says, I, God, will take the wrath that they deserve on myself on the cross. And the triune God is fractured. Jesus is alienated from the Father. Why? Because that's what your sin has done. Jesus is alienated. He is dissimilar. He becomes sin so that we might become, by faith, the righteousness, the holiness of God. And when that happens, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, dwells within the believer who says, yes, Jesus, I am a sinner, and I receive your death on the cross and your resurrection on my behalf. And the Holy One comes and dwells inside by the sacrifice of Jesus. This is why it's called good news. Because you can't solve your problem. You can't solve it. And if you could, you would have already done it. Jesus is the solver of your sin problem. And the benefit of that is it comes with the very special presence of God dwelling within you. It'd be enough for him to just to forgive us. But he goes a step further. I'm not just going to forgive you. I'm actually going to bless you with my very presence within you. <laughs> That's the difference between mercy, forgiveness, and grace, which I'm going to bless you with myself. Because <laughs> mercy says, listen, I'm just going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. Mercy says, I will forgive you. We're not going to be tight, but I'll forgive you. That's mercy. Grace says, not only will I forgive you, I'm going to come and like this with you, the father embracing the prodigal. That's grace. Another way to think about it is adoption. It's Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Sin separates us from the special presence of God. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, by faith, we are restored to the special presence of God. Second hindrance, we choose to ignore the general and special presence of God. Let's say that you're a believer here in this room. You, are, you have the presence of the living God dwelling within you, but there are times, at least for me, where we just ignore him. <laughs> there are times where I just ignore him. I ignore both his general presence and his special indwelling presence. I just ignore it. You know, people have said our generation is one of the most entertained generations that has ever lived. We have access to literally anything we could want and yet, we are the most anxious and bored generation that has ever existed. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because we don't have high thoughts about God like this. 
That's why we're bored. You and I weren't created to find ultimate satisfaction in social media, friends. <laughs> and you and I were not created to find ultimate satisfaction in video games, you know, substituting adventure <laughs> for something digital. We weren't created for these things. And, and we literally just fill our minds and our eyes and our hearts with so much distraction that we literally ignore the omnipresent God. He is there, but we are not aware that he is there. Third, another hindrance to our experience of the, of the special presence of God. We are not where Jesus is at work. <laughs> We're not where Jesus is. Jesus is on a mission in your life. You want to be in rhythm with where Jesus wants to go? Like, let's just make it really practical. The general presence and the special presence, it's like if I'm in a relationship with someone else, but I never talk to them, I never engage with them, we never do anything, right? We don't talk, we don't spend time together, we don't do anything. What kind of relationship is that? Anyone know? It's called not, right? If I don't talk to you, I don't spend time with you, and I don't do anything with you. And with, with God, we want to, one of the hindrances to our engagement with his presence is we're not doing what he wants to do. We're off doing whatever else, and he's like, I, I just want to go this way. Jamie, will you come with me? I just want to go this way. And you know what this way is? They're called divine appointments every day that Jesus wants to engage with me and others. It's called kingdom living. It's called engaging with those around me in the kingdom way. Luke 10, Jesus sends his disciples two by two. And it's interesting, it says, he sent them to places that he was going to go to. That Jesus was going over there and he sends them out. He looks at Moses who sees this burning bush. He's like, what is that thing over there? And he comes over to it. He says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, ah, what am I going to do? Uh, that sounds a little bit, I can't speak. I can't do that. He goes, don't worry about it. I will be with you, right? <laughs> I will be uniquely with you. Or how about the Great Commission? Jesus says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But that's in the context of going and being on mission, right? There's a sense in which we are hindered in our experience of the special presence of God when we're not going where Jesus is. All right. Our small group discussion question then is this. How practically will I draw near to God this week? So in your small groups, I want you to just wrestle with this question. It's a very practical question, like Monday morning, what am I going to do to practice and draw near to this omnipresent God? What am I going to do? And here are some, some applications that you can also consider that help with this question. Receive the special presence of God by faith in Christ. That's the gospel. And I've kind of discussed these. When tempted, remind yourself of the omnipresent God. Examine your use of distractions. 
and entertainment. You know, it's like, it's like visiting the Grand Canyon and standing there looking at the Grand Canyon, right? And then you look down like there's a little crack on your foot, and you're like, what is that? What's that thing, right? I got the Grand Canyon. I'm like, what's this little crack thing? That's a special little crack. This is so good. How did they? That's so amazing. It's foolishness, but we do it all the time. Candy crush, candy crush, candy crush. I got the Grand Canyon, and here's a little crack. Little, little. Okay, I can't preach another sermon, so. Examine the use of distractions and entertainment. Four, when bored, confess to the Lord. It's in the passage. I don't have time to do this. It says, search me and try me. Know my anxious thoughts. Listen, I've learned that when I'm bored, that's a flag. Jamie is not delighting in God. When you're bored and when you're anxious, that is an early warning system. You are not delighting in God. And it's not to shame you. It's just a, oh, I'm looking at the crack. Where's the Grand Canyon? Okay, I got to keep going. Ask for more of his presence. More of his presence. Moses was up on the mountain, literally in the full presence. He's like, show me more. Like, that's become a, a, a consistent prayer of mine. I, I want more. I, I'm experiencing it. I want more. Because you're infinite. You're inexhaustible. I'm experiencing you. I want more of you. So ask for more. Do not abandon the body of Christ. We are uniquely, and he is uniquely present with us when we're here. Listen, the triune God is uniquely present right here in this place where he wasn't two hours ago. Are y'all hearing me? Why? Is it because the air conditioner turned on or the heater? No. It's because we're here. <laughs> is, it the, is it because Mark unlocked the doors? No, no, no. He is uniquely present here now because we are here. So engage with community. You want to uniquely experience God? Get together with believers. And then wherever you are, be as fully present as possible. This is a challenge for me. Like, when I'm at the house and my kids are around, am I fully present with my kids, approximating the way that the Father is fully present with me? I, I, I can't be fully present in the same way, God. I can be omnipresent for my kids, but can I at least be, like, emotionally present with them? Or if Jess, can I at least be present with her, rather than thinking about something that happened at work or a conversation or what I'm going to do? But she's before me. I want to be fully present so applications to consider. I'm going to invite Mark and the worship team up, and we're going to, we're going to worship. And a couple of things that I want to encourage you with. The Lord's Supper table is going to be open during our, um, our worship time. And I encourage you, not only does Jesus say, where two or more are gathered, I am there with you. He also says, this is my body. <laughs> That when we come to the table, we are encountering God uniquely in some sort of way. And I don't want to get into the theological, is it, is it consubstantiation? Is it trans, I don't want to get into that. But he is uniquely present. He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. Come. You will meet uniquely. 
you will meet Jesus at the table. He is the host of the table waiting for you. So as we're standing and singing here in a little bit, come to the table. And I'm telling you, you will encounter Jesus. And this isn't about feelings. We don't walk by feelings, we walk by faith. Isn't that right? But oftentimes, I will experience the presence of God on me. I will experience his presence uniquely during worship or at the table or even in conversation because we want to be mindful that he's uniquely with us to bless and sustain us. So I'm going to pray. In fact, let's stand. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to worship this omnipresent God. Father, we come before you. We thank you that you are present everywhere and we thank you that you are fully present right here. And Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way for us to experience not only forgiveness, but fullness with you. And Holy Spirit, you are the literal presence of the Father and the Son here in this place. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that as we worship this morning, that you would manifest your glory and your power here in this place. And Jesus, we thank you for this table. We thank you for your body broken for us. We thank you for your blood spilled for us as a substitute for my sin and for our sin and the sin of the world. So we come with thanksgiving to eat and to remember and to drink and to experience you. So we come to worship you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.